oh my god what the heck has just happened here okay i i turned away for a second and then you've raised 18 million 20 million dollars what are you doing with the money hello hello future fam i'm in a good mood today because today i'm going to talk to someone that is doing something that is totally revolutionary this is a game-changing idea and i say that with no exaggeration well let me put things in context for you come along with me for a minute now imagine if every product you ever desired gave you their product for the amazing price of free yes for free use it for as long as you want they promise when you've received the full value of the product you pay if hard times hit you you lose your job something goes wrong you stop paying until you get back on your feet what does that say about how much the company believes in its products and in you that's more than a money-back guarantee it's making an investment in you they're betting your success is their success they're betting that their success is based on your success what's crazy is this isn't a hypothetical idea this is exactly the business model of my next guest are they insane are they out of their mind stick around Okay, um, Austin, I'm really stoked to have you on the show. I'm going to just dive right in on the Lambda School. Your idea, your concept seems so revolutionary, so interesting to me that I just had to get you on the show. So when we booked you, I was just waiting for this day to count down. So here we are. So for people who don't know what Lambda School is, can you give us uh, the breakdown, the brief, just kind of in a nutshell? Yeah, uh, at Lambda School, we train people to be software engineers and data scientists in live online classes. Um, and we do it for free until you're making more than 50000 a year in the field that you study. So basically, uh, no upfront tuition. We only get paid if you're successful. Wow. That must mean that you really believe in two things. The program is very effective and that people are really honest. How do you make sure <laughs> that people hold up their end of the bargain once they get a job? Uh, well, luckily, there's enough contract law in the United States that that's not an issue. It's a there, it's a legally binding contract. We get your tax returns. We can check your payroll through through various providers. Um, I mean, it's you know you can get unsecured loans all over the place. That doesn't mean they're just trusting you. It just means they have teeth if they want to go after you. And I okay, so your contract has some teeth in it, so yeah, that you don't have to worry yeah. about that. Okay, fantastic. So this is a pretty radical idea because one of the biggest problems that I and many people have, especially this generation, is that the cost of education is so prohibitive that many people turn away from going to school. And you essentially have solved that problem by saying, no upfront costs, only pay us when you get a job. That's a radical idea. Is anybody else doing something like this? Um, yeah, so there are a couple schools. Um, so the idea of an income share agreement has been around for, well, I guess Milton Friedman really came up with the idea in the 1950s and people had mm -hmm. toyed around with it, but I think the model was always broken. Um, so Yale did it back in the day where basically everybody in this certain class signed an income share agreement and then everybody just paid a percentage of their income until the net amount of the tuition was repaid. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so what that meant was that you could, you know, go do nothing and pay very little toward it. And the people who earned a lot were picking up your weight. Um, which I don't think that's a very, like the incentives are all wrong there. Mm-hmm. Um, so the trade off now there are schools that are trying to figure out a similar model, um, to land a school. I believe mm-hmm. we're the first, if not one of the first to do it completely free with no deposit. You know, a lot of schools have a $5,000 deposit and then, um, you know, it's discounted from your tuition later. Um, there are a couple schools in San Francisco that are two years long and on an income share agreement. Um, but I think we're the first to really say, look, we're going all in on this entirely online, completely free upfront. Let's get access to everybody instead of having it be a small perk of, or one of the multiple ways of financing the same school. Now, if I had the money, could I just pay for it up front? Yeah. Yeah. You can pay $20,000 up front. Okay. It's 20K. Does the amount increase if I don't pay up front? Like, is there some kind of loan? Uh, is there an interest calculated into the payment depending on how long I take to pay it off? So there's no interest. Okay. Um, wow. but the, the cap, so the maximum amount you could pay is higher. So it's either $20,000 upfront or you pay okay. nothing until you're making 50 K a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you pay us 17% of your salary for two years capped at a maximum total possible of 30 K. So it's kind of interesting. If you get a job that pays you 50 K, then you actually pay us less than tuition. If you don't get a job, then you pay us nothing, which is obviously less than tuition. And if you get a great job, you could pay us up to 150% of upfront tuition. But there's I no see. interest. Um, if you lose a job, your payments just pause. It goes, you know, we're not collecting when you can't afford to make payments. So our, our right. incentives are entirely aligned with yours. Right. And I imagine a software engineer, especially in the Valley, pays quite a bit. So there's incentive on both sides for you to do well. And, and if you can't afford it, this is a very viable way to go. Yeah, um, I, I, that's that's really the idea. I think once you're making software engineering salary, then paying mm-hmm. back isn't a big deal. The trick is if for any reason you're not, then the kind of loans that you would have to take out to pay for this kind of a school would just cripple you. Um, so it's, it's just the most, in my mind, egalitarian way to finance tuition where, you know, if, if it works, if it works and you're making a ton of money, you can afford to pay it back and it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Do you know what the average salaries are in the Valley for a software engineer kind of entry level? Uh, average is right around 90 or a hundred K. Um, the other interesting thing about Lambda school is we have about 5% of our students that end up in the Valley. So mm-hmm. actually most are pretty geographically distributed to other places. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in rural Ohio, $50,000 is a whole lot of money. Right. Um, whereas in Silicon Valley that, you know, you're getting welfare at that. Yeah. Even, even $80,000 <laughs> I mean, you're getting welfare. Right. You're, you're considered below the poverty line in, in the Valley, right? right? Right. Right. And that's not a joke, guys. We're not messing around here. It is very expensive to live in the Valley. Okay, so uh, if you're one of our listeners and you're like, well, this is radical, this is revolutionary, and maybe I wasn't thinking about a career in software engineer because for a number of different reasons, but if they wanted to find out more information, what's the process like? Where do they go? Give us some information there, please. Yeah, so, so one of the differences of us having our incentives tied to you is we're not just like collecting checks from people. 
So we want to make sure that it makes sense for you as much as, you know, as much as you do. Um, so when you apply, so you go to lambdaschool.com and apply, um, we send you through basically a three week long part-time pre-course work. Um, that lets you get to know how Lambda School works. That gets, lets you know the quality of the instruction, kind of what to expect. Um, and then we look at how you do in that coursework, see if you're able to pick up on concepts, see if you're disciplined and motivated. Um, and, and we consider it an investment, right? So we're not going to invest in you if we don't think there's a pretty good chance of you being successful. Yeah, that's basically how it works. You, you come in, you do the pre-course work, we'll have an interview um, and then if it makes sense, we'll say, you know what, we'll cover your upfront tuition and you pay us back if it works on the other side. I see. Is this, I, I know you said this earlier about contract law in the United States is pretty strong. Is this only for people in the United States? Right now, the paid upfront option is only for people in the United States. In January, we will be live in the EU. Um, but, but yeah, it's not trivial to verify income or have kind of complex contracts like this in every country. So we kind of have to go region by region. So even though, you know, it, it's not hard for us to teach Canadian students, for example, mm -hmm. um, it's currently not possible to attend Lambda School on an income share agreement if you are a Canadian citizen, which is mm -hmm. unfortunate. We're mm -hmm. working on that. Right. So you start in the United States, you're rolling out to European Union, and then you'll expand as, you, as you're able to kind of figure out the the various contractual stuff, right? Yeah, it's more the, the regulatory environment. Mm. Um, so we're working on other other countries now. I see. Um, and you know, in the EU, we're, we teach in a different time zone, of course, because mm -hmm. a, a class that goes from 3 a.m. to 9 a.m. doesn't help much if you're in Europe. Mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, we're basically building it out region by region. Okay, so let's say that I'm interested, I apply, you interview me, it works, and I'm, I'm ready to go, it's no tuition up front. Take me through what the 30-week program looks like. How does this work? What are the class sizes? When do I tune in, et cetera? Yeah, so we put every group, every student in a group of eight students with one TA. Um, so that TA is someone who's been through the first four or five months, um, and we hire them on a, on a short contract to be basically your first point of contact, your first frame of reference. Um, so you'll work a lot in that group of eight students. You'll do daily standups. You'll submit code challenges and code reviews every day. Mm. Um, and then the, the cohort, which is all the people who start at the same day as you can be a little bit bigger. Um, so it can be anywhere from 60 to hundred. I think our biggest ever has been 120. Mm. And then you'll have, you'll do lectures together with that cohort. And then you'll have what are called section leads, which are every 40 or 50 students. Um, someone who has kind of a higher level knowledge than your TA would that you can contact. So it's, you know, we like having big cohorts because then there's a lot of people to work with. There's a big network. Um, but the only thing that happens cohort wide really is lectures and graduation. And then most of the time you're working with a, with a smaller group. Um, but it's, it's 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific um, or 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. Pacific if you're in part-time. Um, but that entire time, minus breaks, you're, you know, you're butt in seat coding. Um, it's 30 weeks long. Mm. And so I assume then you need a decent internet connection, some kind of video conferencing stuff. Is, is that how that works? 
Yep. So you'll download Slack, you'll download Zoom, and then you'll use a lot of software that Lambda School's built for managing curriculum and turning stuff in and knowing where mm-hmm. you should be and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So these are live lectures or are they pre-recorded videos? Yes. Everything we do is entirely live and interactive. So, wow. so sometimes there's like a, a review video that you watch before a lecture or something, but, but 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. it's all live and interactive. Now, why did you choose to go through the in making the lectures live versus pre-recorded? I'm curious about that. Um, the interactivity of the lecture is very important to the learning process. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a bunch of just basic psychological human switches where if you're watching a pre-recorded video, your mind doesn't engage and you just turn mm-hmm. off. Um, so having that back and forth where you're kind of discovering um, is really important. And then we do, we do something called I do, we do, you do, which there's a bigger pedagogical word for. But, but basically that means there are three projects that cover the same objective. Um, and each day you'll have a, you know, a handful of objectives that you need to master that day. And so the instructor will first kind of spin up a project and they'll show you how to implement something um, in, in the first project. Um, and then after that, there's a code along challenge where the instructor will be implementing something and you'll be implementing it on your computer at the same time. Um, kind of gets you a second rep through it. You let it solidify a little bit more. Um, and then there's a you do challenge, which is, you know, you're on your own or pair programming with another student. You're implementing what you just learned a third time. Um, and that just helps us cement it even more. And then at the end of each week, there's a, what we call a sprint challenge. Each week is what we call a sprint. Um, and basically in that sprint challenge, you'll re-implement every single thing that you've learned that week with, you know, fresh eyes and without, you know, having done it twice in a row, just to make sure that everything has, has sunk in. Mm-hmm. Um, and if for some reason you struggle with that sprint challenge and you, you haven't picked up everything that you needed to learn that week, instead of going forward and just kind of being behind and getting lost, you'll just repeat that week again. So you roll back, you form another cohort, you're assigned another TA, um, and you work on that stuff until you're ready to move on. Mm-hmm. I have a bunch of more questions on this and I'm going to ask a few more. I'm, I'm sure there's a thousand more questions I'm going to ask you about this, but then I want to know more about you and your motivation, why you started this, your background, et cetera. One of the thoughts I've had was, if somebody is not putting something like they, if they don't have skin in the game, they don't seem as engaged. And I'll give you an example. When we did events at our space and we said it's free, lots of people would register. Very few people would show up. As soon as I charged money for it, everybody that said they're going to show up shows up. Have you found mm-hmm. a similar thing or is that the interview process that takes care of that? Yeah. So, I mean, certainly if we just said, hey, Lambda School is free, everybody show up on day one, it would be a similar result. Um, so we have, that's part of the pre-course work is making sure that people are dedicated. So basically people are putting in sweat equity instead of cash. Um, and, you know, we, we need to make sure that you're dedicated or we're going to lose a lot of money investing in you. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a whole lot of people um, in the United States and in the world for whom even a thousand dollar upfront deposit just makes it an impossibility. Right. Um, so that's just a, I mean, that, that is the way that 99% of schools solve whether you're dedicated or not. It's just, will you write a check? 
mm-hmm. um, we kind of don't have that luxury. So we have to parse out how dedicated you are by having you do work and be committed. Then the natural follow-up question is then, I think, going through your process, no process is perfect. What is your rate of completion? Like once somebody yeah, commits so, to taking a class. Yeah, from day one to graduation, it's 85%. Wow. Very, very high, given very high. the circumstances and, and the length and okay. um, everything else. I mean, when we started, it was 40 50%. Um, we weren't good at selecting students and I I mean, our, you know, our curriculum has to be incredible and the experience has to be incredible or we just lose people because it's easy to close a laptop and walk away. Right. Um, so, you know, we've been around for somewhere between a year and a half and two years now. Mm -hmm. Um, and we have 26 people full time working on instruction and curriculum. So Mm -hmm. it's, very, very rigorous, very, very thought through. We're now on our 17th cohort, so the 17th iteration of the same curriculum. And it's it's pretty damn good, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And with 26 full-time teachers, what is the student body like at any given time? Um, it, so it's, it's growing quickly, as is mm-hmm. our instructor count. Um, right now, we have... Right around 600 full-time students, or 600 students between full-time and part-time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have another 80 or 90 contractors that are working 30 hours a week um, that I didn't include as teachers because they're not full-time. Right. Um, so, you know, our, our headcount at any given time looks like 110, 120. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see. Okay, so I have a bunch of questions for you now. We were just chatting before we went live here that you, from your LinkedIn profile, look like a pretty young guy. You sound like a young guy. Tell me about your background and how you got into this. Are you a software engineer as well? I am a bad software engineer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The students are are better than me by the time they graduate. Um, Originally, my plan was to create the computer science side of the school that I would be able to attend. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of built it for myself, honestly. Um, but then, you know, it started growing so quickly that I haven't been able to do so, which is unfortunate. Um, but yeah, so I, I grew up in Utah, um, a smaller town, not, you know, kind of an hour south of Salt Lake um, in a Mormon family, which meant, you know, when I turned 19, I went on a Mormon mission in eastern Ukraine, um, came back from that went to college, wasn't very happy with my college experience, always kind of hated school, honestly. Um, so yeah, vagabonded around China, ended up homeless in Silicon Valley. Um, after that, worked at a company called LendUp in San Francisco and then started Lambda School. So that's the 30,000 foot version. Hey, future fam, Ben Burns here. Thanks so much for tuning in. At The Future, we are all about changing the way that creatives access business and design education. And if you want to support our mission, check out our courses, toolkits, and private coaching sessions. Everything is made specifically for you to level up as a creative professional. How long did you work at LendUp before you started LendUp? About two years. Okay, so I, I want to get into the, the the creation origin mythology, the story. Like, what happened in your life? What are the circumstances that made you feel like I need to start this thing? 
Yeah. So, um, before I moved to San Francisco, I was living in a very small town. Um, my, my in-laws have a farm, um, that they've run for a really long time. And, um, I was working remotely. So we just kind of went down to live in that town. Um, not far from where my in-laws live and then, you know, got hired in San Francisco. So going back and forth between very small town, Utah and San Francisco, um, you can't help but notice the discrepancy in opportunity. You know, so for example, in, in San Francisco, we would be giving out $10,000 recruiting or referral bonuses if you could bring in a software engineer. And then some of the smartest people I know in that town are making, you know, the, the median wage is like 30K. Um, and that's pretty much where every, where most people sit. Um, <clears throat> so just, you know, and I would talk to, there are some brilliant people that I met in that small town and talk to them about learning to code or, you know, working in tech. Um, and it just wasn't an option. They would have to move. They would have to pay $10,000 to some school and it, you know, the sum of it all was just that it was way too risky for them to even fathom the idea of doing something like that. So, you know, working in San Francisco, I just wanted to create an oppor- opportunity for people to enter the world that I had lived in. Um, and I knew that most people wouldn't be able to do that if we didn't find a way to de-risk it. I see. Okay, so that's I think a unique perspective saying you you kind of live in a small town where there aren't a lot of opportunities and the medium income is fairly low, relatively speaking, around 30K. Mm-hmm. Then, then you're in the valley and, and people are handing out. And I know this practice, it's a $10,000 recruitment bonus check. Basically, if you help to find somebody that they hire, you, the person who helps to find that person, get a $10,000 check just for saying, here's a friend I know. Yep. So that's worlds apart. So you're like, okay. So it's so like, man, there's... Like Go ahead. there's, if I could, and the, the funny thing to me was it, it could be the same amount, right? The, the referral bonus could be the same amount of the school that the person in Utah couldn't afford to attend. Mm-hmm. So I was like, there's gotta be a way, like, can't you just use that referral bonus to train new people or, you know, and obviously that's assuming that you have pre-selected the right person and that, you know, usually the $10,000 bonus is for a more senior engineer, but but, but the point was like, man, once you're on the other side, money flows like crazy. But right. until you get there, like that $10,000 investment is a huge, huge risk. And I don't blame anybody for not wanting to take that risk because if it doesn't work out, you're, you're kind of done, right? Mm-hmm. If you have $10,000 in debt with a 7 to 10% interest rate and you're making 30000 a year, like you will never be able to pay that off. Mm-hmm. So take me through how you go from an idea to day one Lambda schools in operation. Did you raise money? How did did you, is this all um, just bankrolled by yourself? Is it bootstrapped? Um, yeah, in the beginning it was bootstrapped. So I um, started working with my co-founder who's from the same small town that I'm from in Utah. Um, and we said, you know, we don't really like code schools. Let's just put, create a better code school. Um, and put it all online so people don't have to move. And that was kind of step one. Um, so we would, you know, teach these big free classes for a month. Um, people would enroll. And then 
um, as a part of the free class, we'd have a sales pitch for, hey, pay us $10,000 and you, know, you don't have to move and you can study from wherever you're at. And that was, that was working. We were able to quit and pay our salaries with that. But it was still you know, a 12-week-long code boot camp, which is really eight weeks of instruction and four weeks of your first project, and then hit the job market and good luck. Um, and we realized really quickly a couple of things. The first is that that's just not enough time. But if we wanted to extend the time, we would have to charge more. And that makes it even more difficult to find folks than it already is at $10,000. And so really that business model is just inherently limited. I see. Um, the other thing we noticed is that, so, so we tried a test once when we had one open seat and we you know, emailed everybody and said, hey, we have one seat available. If you'll pay us $1,000 up front, then you can pay us the rest after you get a job. And normally an email like that would result in two or three applications and all of a sudden we got 150. So wow. we're like, okay, that's... You're onto something now. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of used that insight and the fact that we'd gotten things off the ground so quickly to get into Y Combinator um, and say, look, no one's ever done this, but what if we put a school online, made it six months instead of three months and made it free up front? Would, what would that look like? Um, and yeah, so we got like a little Y Combinator money that let us go to six months. Um, and yeah, we're kind of off to the races since then. There's been a whole lot of bumps in the road, of course. Yep. Um, and we've raised $20 million <laughs> since then. Um, but, but yeah. What was... is Y Combinator? So Y Combinator is kind of a startup accelerator. Basically they give you, then it was $120,000. Now it's $150,000. Um, and it's a three week long <clears throat> kind of intensive accelerator, I guess is the, the word that I would use. Um, so you meet with partners who are successful people who have started companies before. So our partners were Jeff Ralston who created rocket mail, which became Yahoo mail. Um, and Daniel Gross, who was like a 23-year-old kid who sold his company to Apple and mm. um, was just pretty brilliant. Um, so they basically sit down with you for three months and help you prepare and help you build a company, help you know what to focus on. And then at the end, um, you pitch basically to hundreds of investors and say, this is how far we got in three months. Aren't we awesome? Don't you want to give us a million dollars so that we can keep doing this? Um, that's basically exactly what happened. And there is our prize money. Is that the hundred twenty five hundred fifty thousand dollars you're talking about? No, so that that's the investment from Y Combinator. So Y Combinator gives you that money, and then they oh, take seven percent of the company. So that's your I first see, see. investment. I and see. then after Y Combinator, you have a room full of investors, and you pitch for a next round of investment. Mm-hmm. And how much did you raise money there? So we raised. After Y Combinator, immediately after Y Combinator, we raised $4 million. Wow. Okay. And then six months later, we raised another 14. Holy cow. So you raised $28 million already and you're into year two right now, right? Yeah. We're, we've raised 20 and we're, yeah, a year and a half old. Okay. Okay. Wow. Okay. And how much of the company have you given up thus far? Um, or can you just not disclose that? I probably can't say that. It's, I mean, 
We raised at pretty healthy valuations, so we still have a lot of it. Um, I mean, we sit down with every round that we raise and we do the math and say, you know, if we sell to investors, and that's not exactly the right way to think of it, but I think of it that way because that's essentially what you're doing. Um, but if we sell 20% of the company right now, will that help us grow 20% bigger than we would have been able to without that money? Um, and we make the decision in a very rational manner. So even the first $4 million, we, we could have gotten there bootstrapping, but it would have been a very slow process. And then someone else would have raised a bunch of money and been able to crush us. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, we're, um, we'll, we'll probably raise again here pretty quickly just because we're growing so fast that, um, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the, the, the question that I, I get asked quite often is as I'm looking to raise potentially some money to grow our operation is everybody keeps asking me, so what are you gonna do with the money, Chris, when you get the money? I'm like, oh, I don't know. Cause I've been bootstrapping it the whole time. What would I do with that money? So for people who are like, I, I'm sure there are people who are driving right now, listening to this podcast, like, oh my God, what the heck has just happened here? Okay, I, I turned away for a second and then you've raised 18 million, $20 million. What are you doing with the money? Um, so, so we have a very unique business model where yes. we don't get paid until students get a job. So just, right. you know, most of that is going into teaching people. Um, as well as, you know, building out a network of hiring partnerships and engineering software and, and that sort of thing. So for us, it's, I mean, I never, it's not hard for me to answer a question of how will you spend the money? It's just, we're going to grow faster. We're going to train more people. We're going to do a better job training people. We're going to have a better hiring network. We're going to have better software. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I definitely have, an answer for that question and I can sit down with a spreadsheet and show, mm -hmm. you know, exactly how we're going to spend that money. And it, it makes a lot of sense. And, mm -hmm. you know, basically we have a business model where if we plug in a dollar today, it becomes, you know, $3 a year and a half down the road. So right. it makes sense to be putting, investing as many dollars as you can. Right. I see. Okay, so on a high level, I think I think what I heard was you need money to to scale the number of teachers. Uh, you also need to develop software to kind of run the school better. Is that, and then you need to do a really amazing job at vetting potential students because that dollar turns into negative dollars if it if they don't go through, right? Correct. And the other thing that the thing we're spending most of our money on right mm -hmm. now, well, not most, but the thing that we're investing in more heavily now. Um, is basically we have a kind of a sales force that goes out to companies, finds companies that are hiring engineers and says, Hey, come, come look at Lambda school students. Um, and that's pretty crucial in the I whole see. flow. Yeah. Oh. So we're building out that network of hiring. So this companies. is like an end to end solution, cradle to grave. Like we'll teach you and then we'll find you a job. Yep. That's fantastic. Wow. Okay, so what challenges are you having right now? Um, one of our challenges is that students who come from lower income backgrounds, which of which we have a lot, mm -hmm. um, kind of the day they graduate, they're out of money. And so they need a job, not, you know, two months from now, even though that's how long the job hunt process generally looks, even in a best case scenario, it might take a month or two. Um, 
So trying to find ways to have them ready to be hired before they graduate um, is one of the big things that we're trying to solve right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, other than that, it's just, you know, improving everything all at once. Okay. So we've got, you know, admissions, we've got the course curriculum, we've got our post-grad program, we've got our hiring partnerships. Um, and if everything doesn't, like anything, every single one of those can be a zero multiplier. So if any one of those are broken, then the whole system just grinds to a halt. So we kind of have to level up everything simultaneously, which is not easy. Mm -hmm. I am a teacher at a traditional school and I'm looking at you and hearing this and saying, no way. How do you take, (laughs) you know, how do you take a four year program condense it down to 30 weeks I, I think it's 30 weeks, right? Uh-huh. How can that even compete? I mean... You got some magic. Well, you got a time machine in the Lambda school. Like, how do, how do you even do that? Well, the first is that we're laser focused, right? We are 100% obsessed on getting you to that job. So, I mean, of that four years, how much of that are generals? Probably two years plus. Mm-hmm. Um, so even taking just the computer science portion... Um, you know, there's still a whole lot of theory that never really matters in the day-to-day job. We still teach a lot of theory, but we teach the theory that matters. Um, we don't have calculus classes. We don't have chemistry classes. We don't have, you know, so if you took just the fundamental stuff that you need to be, to, to learn, to become a solid software engineer, that's kind of what it looks like. And then even time-wise, we've condensed everything. So, you know, even though it's, 30 weeks, you're still over 1,500 hours um, of full-time studies. There's no context switching. There's no breaks in between anything. Um, you know, it's, it's basically like taking a 26-credit course load for, you know, seven and a half months straight. Right. Um, yeah, so it's actually pretty comparable to the core track of a computer science degree mm-hmm. um, in an hour-per-hour basis. Um, and then we just remove all of the fluff and train you in very practical stuff. Hmm. Um, and when I say fluff, I don't mean that we don't, you know, train you in fundamentals. We don't train you in theory. We still write C. We still, you know, play with operating systems. We still play with assembly, the very, very low level, you know, build a state machine, that kind of thing. Um, but it's, you know, it's just very, very focused. Mm-hmm. And how did you come about creating the initial curriculum? Did you and your partner, I assume your partner is also a software engineer because you said that we taught, but it, we could just be you speaking in the plural. Uh, but how did yeah, you guys come he, up with He the really region? taught. I've never he actually. Really. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, that's good. I didn't want to say that because you're like, I'm not a good software engineer. So I'm like, shoot, he's teaching a class. What's going to happen to these <laughs> kids? So he taught the class. Correct. And Okay, so how did you guys come up with the original curriculum? And has has a lot changed since the the very first few moments to like where you are today? Yeah, so I mean, the first thing we did is we went out to all the hiring companies and said, "Hey, you know, can we talk to a VP of engineering um, and have them help work on this curriculum with us?" So we have an advisory council um, that goes through of various companies and various sizes and different locations. Um, and they all go through and approve or suggest changes to the curriculum quarterly. Um, so that's, 
you know, our, our industry partners are really good as far as that stuff goes. Um, but then on top of that, you know, we're making subtle changes to the curriculum multiple times a day. So any little, you know, we have at any given time, six cohorts going through. So within six months, every single piece of the cohort will be taught six times. Um, and we get a ridiculous amount of feedback and we look where students are learning and where they're getting tripped up and we, we just continually refine it. Um, so data and feedback are very important to our process and we're just constantly refining and making things better. Mm-hmm. Here's something, the reason why I asked you the whole video question, your answer was good. It's about engagement and there's something that psychologically that happens when you know it's live versus a video, right? Mm-hmm. But how do you get consistent teaching uh, excellence across the board when you have human beings involved where if you gave the instructor, here's the curriculum, this is what you need to teach for this uh, time period. And then that person teaches one way and then there's another teacher te- who teaches it a different way. How do you account for the discrepancy between the talent gap? I mean, we have what we call the Lambda way. And um, if you aren't living up to the Lambda way, we let you go. Um, So um, we have, I mean, of, of your day as an instructor, you're only really lecturing for an hour or two and you have, you know, an eight, an eight hour day. So we we're pretty rigorous in our training um, and our methodology and our curriculum development um, so it's, I mean, there's not a good answer for that other than just, we make sure that everybody does a good job or we find somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, we get feedback that we map to every instructor on every, um, every unit, every lesson, every challenge. Um, so it's really easy to pinpoint any problem areas. Um, and then generally speaking, um, we have like, so, so one teacher will teach one unit and they'll teach that unit again and again and again. Um, so you'll, you'll own a five week section and you'll teach that five week section every five weeks. Um, so I see. You know, 10 times during the year, you've taught the same thing. You've worked out all the kinks um, and mm-hmm. it gets to a really good spot. Hmm. And do you send the teachers through a similar kind of boot camp to make sure that they're as good as they as you think they are yeah i mean so we we have what we call um brown bags which are optional evening or lunch lessons um and we watch the teacher so we we give them a curriculum um to teach and then refine and we kind of test them out as a part of the interview process and then we're constantly doing training of the instructors. So our chief product officer, who's our lead instructional designer, um, he, yeah, we, we do a lot of training of the instructors because that, that is kind of our product at the end of the day, right? It's mm-hmm. what the experience is like as a student. Mm-hmm. Okay, switching gears a little bit here. A couple of things. If I want to be a teacher, how do I apply to your school? It sounds wonderful. Austin, tell me how I become a teacher. Yeah. Um, I mean, go to lambdaschool.com slash careers. We're always hiring for, you know, a dozen different positions. Um, we're especially hiring in the UK right now because we're building out Europe. Um, but yeah, it's a, I mean, you'll start the interview process. It's, it's pretty rigorous. Um, not everybody who's a software engineer is a good teacher. Um, 
but but yeah okay a couple other questions now we might be heading into a little touchier territory here um your your investment is in, is in the long run because you're not going to see a return until a little bit like maybe a year or two even after the person graduates from school right because they go out to get a job their first year if they make a certain amount of money then they pay you a certain percentage mm-hmm. is that money starting to come in and what does that money look like today uh i can't speak too much to this but it's okay. it's definitely coming in and we're in a good spot great fantastic um okay uh, now, if I'm listening to this and I'm a, a young person, I like this sounds fantastic. I really believe in education and I want to be able to do something like this. Can you distill down what you've been able to do? What's worked for you really well in, in so that somebody else can get started if they want to teach some other subject, like if they want to teach design or science or something like that, what would they need to do? Um, all of it. <laughs> Relisten to the podcast. Yeah, that's that's the thing about <laughs> this one. company, this style of company is you can't you you know you can't solve any single piece and have everything else work. You have to solve all of the pieces simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we'll get to a point where we're branching out into other verticals and to other um, you know subjects. But you have to figure out the financing. You have to figure out the admissions. You have to figure out the instruction. You have to figure out the placement. Um, and if you don't figure out any of those, then you die. So it's, there's a reason <laughs> people haven't started companies like this and that's because it's hard and it's com- mm-hmm. more complex than you give me a dollar and I'll train you. Um, but I think that's just what the future needs to look like and it's okay that it's complex. Mm. Well, I did hear some things and you made me think a little bit about how we're doing things ourselves, which is you went and talked to the, the the recruiters, the people who are going to hire people and you asked them, well, what are you looking for? What skills are needed? What are you testing for? And you kind of take that back in because at the end of the day, we don't want to go to school because we love school and some people do, but we go to school because we want to do something with our lives and we do that through getting a job and making money so that we can move forward in our, our career path and hopefully achieve some of our dreams. So that, that made me think a little bit because right now we're designing students to, to be designers, but we're not necessarily plugging it in saying, what is Google, Facebook, or Apple looking for today? Because that's where some of the best jobs are. Or maybe another design firm, what are you guys looking for? How do you make your decision? So you've given me some pointers there. So you're solving two pain points, a pain point at the beginning and a pain point at the end. At the beginning, it's uh, it's like, what is the barrier to, to education? Well, it's, it's money. It could be time, like commitment. So speed is important. And it's a style of learning that's important. And then at the end, it's like, we, we got to get a job for them. And, and actually, companies need qualified employees so that if they make an investment in bringing in somebody, that they're going to be able to hit the ground running, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. There's a good chance that somebody's listening to this who's going to come up with some great questions. So if they want to reach out, uh, not necessarily directly to you, but if they want to find out more information or dig around, where's the best place to send them? Yeah, lambdaschool.com or we're really active on Twitter. So that's another easy way to go about it. And is that at Lambda School? At Lambda School or I'm at Austin Allred and I'll always respond to him. Okay, perfect. All right. Well, thank you very much, Austin, for doing this with us. Really appreciate your time and your openness to share.
My name is Austin Allred, and you're listening to The Future. Features hosted by me, Chris Doe. Our show is edited by Samuel Burns with an assist from Stuart Schuster. Big thanks to Adam Sanborn for composing our theme song. To subscribe to the Future Podcast, check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. While you're there, do us a solid and leave us a review. Your comments will help guide future programming, and hey, it'll help us with our rankings. Can't get enough content? You're in luck. We have over 500 episodes on our YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com slash thefutureishere. Make sure you don't miss out on upcoming events, workshops, live broadcasts, and webinars by signing up for our newsletter. Go to our site, future.com, and click on the email sign-up button. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Future Is Here. Thanks for listening. See you on the next episode.